You're listening to Quintessentially Mental, a podcast hosted by SureEyes. Please note that this host is not a mental health practitioner or professional, and this podcast is not meant for treatment of any mental illness. Hey y'all, this is Quintessentially Mental, and I'm your host, SureEyes. Today's episode is titled, Different But The Same. Inspired by my reflection on the my many travels um i've been fortunate enough to travel the globe extensively there there's maybe one or two continents i haven't had the good fortune to be able to visit but i've i've traveled to at least 30 plus cities um around the globe and one thing i've noticed during all of my travels is that despite all of our differences as people despite you know our um, culture language aesthetic climate um, interests etc you know despite all of the differences that we might have um, as as individuals fundamentally we have a very shared human experience and human need we all what i find you know having having traveled and met people from different parts of the world what i've noticed is we all have a very acute sense of wanting to belong wanting to be loved um a friend of mine always used to say look we all just want to eat drink dance have sex and be happy um you know and and while those those things might not be be the same i think it illustrates the point that as human beings we fundamentally have um you know a shared experience where we can connect on on things deeper than just you know the surface level and so and so what i want to uncover really during this episode is how we connect as human beings how do we connect um you know using tools especially in our our current climate or or rather in the covid climate you know how do we use things like social media to connect you know there there are quite a few social media mental health um accounts where positive messages are spread where people are able to engage in conversation around mental health and mental well-being. And my question is, you know, does this make us feel more connected? Um, Do we then feel like we have a shared experience? Do we feel less alone? Do we feel more supported? Um, I know that, you know, one of the one of the core traits of, of human beings is that we are social beings. Um, growing up, my mom would always say to me, no man is an island. Um, obviously, in my child's mind, I was like, obviously, <laughs> we're not a piece of land surrounded by water. But as I as I grew up and I understood the, um, you know, the the meaning behind it, the fact that we, we weren't meant to be alone, we weren't meant to... Um, navigate this world alone 
that we we do lean on other human beings for connection for support similarly i i met a, a designer years ago in my in my previous life when i worked for design in daba um not she's either a designer or a kind of trained analysis um analyst and she mentioned you know she 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 curated an exhibition where it was called talking textiles and through this narrative she she kind of pointed out that throughout our social media experience throughout our our world becoming more virtual becoming more technologically advanced we were actually losing touch with what it meant to be human what it meant to um you know actually feel emotionally connected um being able to communicate with people verbally um in person non-verbally um i think there's the the stat that says that you know our our non-verbal communication makes up 70% of our total communication and so this idea of the need to feel connected having social media platforms create connection but at the same time potentially create a distance you know does does using social media to spread mental health positive messages help us feel more connected less alone and more supported and i'm hoping my next guest will be able to um help us with that or kind of give us her perspective on it um she goes by nicola coop on instagram um and a lot of her account is really about sharing positive messages around supporting strengthening your own mental health and and well-being and so after this break we will chat to nicola and hear from her you know what inspired her to to start the account um did she notice a difference in the way that she was engaging with people um not only over the internet but perhaps in her everyday life did 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 being more mentally positive or mental health positive did that influence and affect her everyday relationships outside of that social media realm and so i think given given you know the world that we we exist in where you know it's you know we're currently in a pandemic um where we are forced to become less social and more virtual is this perhaps a way that we can remain connected and not feel so isolated so we'll we'll welcome nicola in the next segment baobab.org is a podcasting platform and a medium for storytelling. This podcast is also available on all the major podcasting apps including Apple and Google Podcasts. Podcast your life with baobab.org. Welcome back to Quintessentially Mental. I'm joined by someone who I've just recently met like literally 20 minutes ago. <laughs> um her name is Nicola. Hey Nicola, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm so great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. I think, you know, the mental health conversation is a tricky one because 
those who don't really struggle with it feel like they have no voice to really join the conversation and maybe those who do or are affected by it feel maybe judged or you know like stigmatized and so I'm hoping that conversations like this will almost normalize mental health conversations um, and just create the space for us to have it as ordinary as we would any other conversation. So thank you. Um, how, what would you say your, your kind of journey with mental health has been or where are you in your mental health journey? I know it's a very broad question, so interpret it whichever way you'd like to, you know, but what's your kind of interaction with mental health? Well, actually, it's it's something I've battled with. Um, anxiety is something that I've battled with since I was a little girl. Um, I am a very sensitive person and um, very, very analytical. And as a little girl, um, I didn't obviously know what was happening at the time. I just got really bad anxiety, which manifested in my stomach. And um, at, at sort of like a grade three level, which is super, super young, yeah. um, I was like, they thought I had a, a stomach ulcer. So it's, it's such a weird thing because throughout school, um, you know, I was – undiagnosed um, so I really battled with you know anxiety and depression as a result of that and somehow like I managed to cope and and just develop uh, coping mechanisms but obviously like when you're undiagnosed um, some of those coping skills are, are not actually good coping skills. Um, I didn't grow up in a particularly wealthy family. Um, and definitely, I didn't grow up at a time where it was like more socially acceptable to go to a therapist or a psychologist. So it was always kind of that old school mentality of like, why are you so sad, buck up kind of thing. Um, but somehow in my own being, I knew that there was something just a little bit of like of an issue and when I started working um I started paying for my own therapy I was like you know what I know that this can be undone and you know I know that this is almost a ripple effect like it's sins of the father stuff you know it's it's generational and I, I remember saying to my mom when she was saying like why do you need it I was like you know you suffer from depression like all of this stuff exists it stops here it stops with me yeah like, this is where it ends and uh from that moment on, and I mean, it was triggered by, you know, quite a catastrophic event. I've, I found my grandmother passed, you know, um, like she died in, in my, in the house and I was trying to save her. So it was like a big catalyst for it. But once I started doing it and I'm like, I'm one of those people that commit, um, I looked at it like, okay, cool. I exercise and I eat good food for my body to function um, in an optimal way. In the same way, I'm exercising my brain and I'm getting rid of the things that just don't work for me. Yeah. So 
I started in my early 20s and like did Freudian therapy and stuff like that for a very long time. And it literally changed my life. And um, I think as a result, years later, um, when I was involved, like in a near fatal head on collision, I had those those structures in place that really helped me um, recover. Um, my doctor at one point said to me, like, Nicholas, it's no longer a fight of the body, it's a fight of the mind. Um, and it's exactly that. You know, it's it, be, it goes beyond physicality. Like, a lot of the fights we have on a daily basis are from an emotional or mental perspective. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you raised you know, maybe just to give a bit of context, you know, so this episode is about, you know, how we use the platforms available to us to spread mental health messages. Um, And before I get to that, I think there's just something I want to touch on that you raised, um, which is more this idea of being undiagnosed, you know, and I think, you know, there's, there's always almost what I think as being, the human level of things. So like we all get sad, we all get anxious, we all we all experience the range of human emotion. And mm. I personally believe that, you know, it it becomes problematic when it inhibits our functioning. So like when for me personally, when my depressive episodes stopped me from showering or seeing friends or eating or all the different ways where I'm like, oh, this is a sign of depression that is going to kind of stop my functioning. At what point did you did you think, okay, this anxiety, which you probably didn't have the language for at like grade three level, right? Yeah. Um, at what point in your journey did you think, oh, this this is something I need to seek treatment for? Well, I think I'd I'd started seeing it sort of in my later teens. Um, My mom was, um, you know, came from a little bit of an abusive background, not physically abusive, like emotionally abusive background. And as a result, um, you know, she, she is categorically codependent. So when I was growing up, you know, my moods would impact her moods, which is not a healthy thing. And um, as a result, I would suppress any sadness or any anger and all of that kind of thing because I didn't want to upset her. You know, that's what our response as children, you know. And once I started realizing, like, not only, like, why I was doing that, but also just understanding my mom and, like, where she was coming from and, like, and actually feeling for her because, like, she didn't, like, arrive like that. A situation was created where she was in a similar situation as me where she she had to cope in whichever way. And I think that as a result of that, that's where I, I came to the point is, like, mom, I know what you had to deal with and I'm sorry you know you had to deal with that stuff but it stops now it stops with me and we're gonna we're gonna do this together and at first she was like um she's very upset she she thought that I was blaming her Mm -hmm. and that's not what it was and I think you know as I've done that growth into understanding 
where my stuff is, I've grown to understand my mom so much more um, and have a little bit more compassion for her as a human being, you know, because we tend to like place our parents on pedestals and like they can do no wrong or you, you like lose it at them. And like to look at her and think like, shit, like imagine what you had to go through. Like that's not cool, you know, and be able to connect with your family um, on generational stuff that helps you love them more. And I think that that's something of great value. I, I grew to become more patient with her because I understood. I was more compassionate. And I also started seeing my mom as a human being and not just my mom. And that's such a huge thing to do is like look at them and go like, actually, you know, she's, she's just a rad person doing her best. You know, so much of what you're saying now resonates so much with me. Um, just that that moment where you go, you're actually just a human being doing the best you yeah. can under the circumstances with the hand you were dealt and that you also have emotions. You also have, yeah. you also have a life story. You also have a psyche that has you know, led you to behave in certain ways. You also have defense mechanisms. You also have, yeah. you know, and I think, I think that was, you know, when I, when I first started going to therapy in, well, let's say when I first started seeing a psychiatrist and not just psychologists. Um, and then I, I, you know, it was very uh, awakening for me, but from a angering perspective. And I think it was a, it was a big step for me to be able to move past the resentment and the blaming and reach that point of, but you're actually just an awesome human doing the best you can, you know? And I think, I think what what maybe stops some of some recovery is still looking to portion that to find someone to blame, right? To say that, but why did this happen to me? But why did I have to go through this? Why did, you know, it must, it can't, you know, what did I do to deserve this? You know, and when you start looking, yeah. when you want to externalize it and be like, no, but it must have been because of you or it must have been because of the situation or instead of just taking it for what it is, right? For, instead of just going like, okay, it happened and it affected yeah. me and it sucks and I can't go back and change it, but it doesn't have to define how I relate to you. Yeah, and I think that around that, you know, um, I think when I was younger and took that kind of stuff into relationships, I tended to blame like the dysfunction on the other person. But as I did, like every time something ended, you know, I kind of looked at it as an opportunity to see how I could be better and do better in my next relationship or whatever that was, whether it be friendship or, or romantic or even from a work perspective. And, um, and what I started realizing is that, that there's a level of accountability and contribution to situations and that I can't um, denounce my accountability because I'm, an, I'm adding to this. It doesn't just manifest out of nowhere. It's not just it, happening it, to you. 
Exactly. And I think that, you know, I don't know if you know um, the idea of the drama triangle, which is, you know, um, a breakdown on abusive relationships where it becomes, you know, the rescuer, the victim, the persecutor. And what that dynamic does is like realizing that, you are playing some of those roles in your relationships, whether it is the victim or the persecutor or the rescuer, like um, you've contributed to that dysfunction in some way because you can't control the other person. You can only control yourself. And once you realize that, I think that's where the empowering part lies is that, yeah, we can get dragged into someone's drama or we can say no. I'm not going there. Like, um, even though I see you kind of trying to press my buttons and trying to get that kind of anger or um, you want you want the justification that if I become an angry person, you go, well, look at you. This is, you know, you're a terrible person so that you feel better. Like, there's a great opportunity to, like, hit pause and go, you know what? I see that where this is going and you're not, I'm not going there. It's that simple. And that takes a long time and a lot of undoing. And I like the generational stuff is not about just dealing with the present. It's undoing sometimes generations of, of actions and undoing, as you know, is, is far more laborious than doing. (laughs) 100%. My mom always says, what's that saying? Um, old habits die hard yeah you know yeah um, something you have to beat into the ground (laughs) (laughs) beat into submission (laughs) yeah it's crazy and I mean it's it's a hard journey like I think I never knew I feel such compassion and empathy for little me I because now I understand, because I kind of have her with me all the time, you know, and I, that part of me that didn't know what was happening and that was scared, you know, and it's so weird that, you know, when I speak with my my counselors, you're able to gauge your sadness and your anger almost on like how big it is, because mm-hmm. when it's bigger, it's kind of younger. And um, one of my counselors after my motor vehicle accident said, like, this is your inner child. Just hold her hand and say, it's going to be okay. I got you. Mm. And it's such a weird thing because, like, I know that little girl that was lost and scared and didn't know, like, where she fits in the world because everyone seemed to be doing just grand. And I was that strange, um, like, hypersensitive, introverted little kid um that like now as an adult like I just want to give her a hug (laughs) yeah no I I I can completely resonate with that and I think you know you you speak quite openly about the accident you were in and I know on your social media accounts it's something you reference quite strongly especially when you share the impact it had on your mental strength um yeah you know, at what point did you, and, you know, I've, I've been following your account for a while now, um, but, like, at what point did you did you say, okay, you know, I'm going to start using the things that have happened to me that aren't necessarily, 
palatable or easy to talk about, but I'm going to start using this as a way to share positive, you know, mental health, positive messages to, uh, you know, through my social media and hopefully I can touch, or even was that your ambition? Were you hoping that it could inspire? What was your, like, what was your stance on, okay, let me, let me use these events as a way to cultivate mental health positivity? So I think for me, um, because when the accident happened, um, and I basically were, it was really touch and go, um, you know, I wasn't meant to survive. And when I came out of the coma, which was three weeks later, um, I guess, and it's something that I openly speak about, I almost had my, uh, the eulogy that would happen when you died um, happened to me while I was dying, but then I recuperated and it was all there. And it was all there in the messages from people that my friends, people that I work with, people that I mentor, um, like from around the world. And it was like, you know, it's such a huge confirmation. And I'm like, you think, hey, you know, I'm a giving person. I say I love you to my friends. Every time I end a call with them or a message, I tell them that. And, like, I've always maintained, like, I'll just keep my side of the street clean. Like, you know, I will just behave like the person I want to be. And to wake up and have that work or that acknowledgement uh, mirrored back at you was it was absolutely moving because that's something that people don't hear when they're living. They don't hear the impact that they've made on someone's lives or anything like that. And people were rooting for me. Kids that I mentor were sending me messages going like, you can't fucking die yet. I need you. We've got <laughs> shit to do. And like to wake up to that gives you such a sense of like, okay, so I wasn't doing everything wrong. I was, I was doing okay. People felt that I loved them. And if I died, they would know. And I would have been okay if I died because that. I would have left a, a good mark. But because I had such a tremendous support while I was in limbo, I felt like I I needed to speak about, like, when I was able to go onto social media because they'd been sharing my story. And I was like, well, they deserve to hear the good stuff too, you know, like, I walked down the stairs today. I ate a slice of cake today. Like all of those things were like, because they'd been rooting with me, they needed that win as well. You know, like I'm such a firm believer in the fact that I'm still here is because of those people praying for me, sending the energies. You know, I believe in, in that kind of realm. So I believe I'm here because of those people and they deserve to hear the good stuff too. So it started as a result of that. And then I approached Al um, magazine to do like an article around my accident and like what it what I had gone through because people see you sitting like front row and, you know, all of these things. And they think like, oh, their lives must be just 
hunky dory but i was you know after that i was i was sitting front row in a beautiful marianne fassler dress with a stoma attached to my stomach which literally makes me poop into a bag and i would have to go to the bathroom and get down on my knees and empty like my own waste and like and still or do that and have to go into a boardroom or stand in front of like Woolworths and do a talk and I was like you know when I shared that story um I got so many people who um slid into my dms and said you know like I'm suffering with this and that was that was exactly why I did it was because I wanted people to know that like it happens to everybody and even when you're sitting in a Marianne Fassler gown in front row, like we're still dealing with stuff, but you can also overcome that stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's really where it came from. And then as a result of me telling my story, that maybe it would inspire one person to get up that day or one person to realize that they have it in them. And then something good would have happened out of all of that trauma and devastation like if it could inspire one person that was enough for me because somehow along the way uh you know it's easy to become the victim or become cynical and angry at this person who hit you yeah. um with their motor vehicle and and you can you have every reason in the world to be cynical and angry and mean and I was like you know if if that goes then this person has taken everything of who I am and I'm not going to allow that to happen. I know who I am and I'm not letting them take everything from me. I mean, this is, it, it, it just kind of reminds me and I'm looking at a tattoo that I just got yesterday, you know, where it says, you know, our stories spread light so we will endure, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's really about, being able to share the light that our stories generate, you know, that might, might not seem like it at the time and might not, you know, might not seem like there's anything good that could potentially come from this particular situation. Um, yeah. And just being able to find those moments where, like you said, you walk down the stairs or you ate a piece of cake or, you know, yeah. breaking that, perception that your life is all perfect because you're you know seen to be where you know people aspire to be so to speak yeah. you know and I think I think that's something that when we can create our own content gives us the power to do when we can yeah, just, you know like decide how or narrate our story rather than you know have our story happen to us or be told for us I think when we can do that, and I think social media gives us a great platform to be able to do that. I think I also utilize the platform because um, in my own therapy sessions, my frustration is that there's not really a space for someone that is dealing with what I was dealing with um, to go. There, was, there is no space. And he articulated it really, really well. Like, there is no hashtag for me. There is no hashtag for what I've gone through. So what does that mean? Because there are groups 
for people that have addictions. There's groups for people who have suffered domestic abuse or rape, but there's not a group for someone like me. Mm-hmm. There is no hashtag for someone like me. And where where do I go with the stuff that I deal with? You know, like there is no trauma group set up in this country that deals with people that have been like marred in um, motor vehicle accidents. And like, it sounds hectic to say, you know, like when you look at the trauma of a rape or, or domestic abuse, it's not so different. It wasn't a fist and it wasn't an, a, a genital appendage. It was a car. It was a car that um, was the weapon used on me. And like, it derailed my entire life. So whether it's a fist or or a physical aspect or a freaking motor vehicle where you are just wandering around, doing what you need to do, abiding by the law, on a trajectory for your career and something happens and someone like breaks your physical body and emotional mental self with a piece of metal and oh my, my dog is horses going past um yeah bowie it's like for me and I, I was so frustrated i'm like where do i go where do i go to speak about this stuff because there are such valuable conversations in the space around you know black females and rape victims and black lives matter and you know abuse and like and somehow i feel like there's no place for me to vocalize like the stuff that i'm enduring and it's a very very lonely place and so i was like you know what it, if I just put it out and and someone just says, I'm here, like I'm doing the same because I just wanted to offer that little bit of light to like a hand extension to someone else. Yeah. And um, because I knew what it was like to be alone. Yeah. That's really beautiful. I think, I mean, not the fact that you had to go through what you did in order for this to be an outcome, but the fact that you did go through what you did and this is an outcome. Um, And I mean, I think that like when you have an opportunity, well, for me, like, as I said, I've got every reason to know what people speak about when they speak about trauma and violence and pain. And and when I see people speaking of it from an, an ableist space, then it's my role to go like, ah, uh-uh, dude, this is yeah. not stay in your lane. You know nothing about this. Like yeah. you can't determine. And I think a lot of that has been around understanding the, the concept of toxic positivity. Um, and this is something that I, I do hopefully will write a book about one day. You know, I survived a motor vehicle accident. I was in a coma. I lost my hair. I lived with a stoma um, for nine months. So you're basically shitting in a bag. And what you've got is a whole lot of people saying, 
oh, yeah, you know, it could have been worse. Or, you know, thank God you're alive. Mm. You must be grateful to be alive. And I'm like, yes, I am grateful to be alive. But I'm even more grateful. Uh, Yeah, I would be more grateful if it never freaking happened. (laughs) But I am allowed to get angry and I am allowed to get sad because this is, it's not okay. It's unfair what happened to me. Yeah. I didn't do anything wrong and this happened to me and you're telling me that it could be worse. No. It should not have happened at all, you know? Yeah. And I think... it's that natural way of someone trying to to sort of like appease you and, and make you positive. But sometimes you don't need people to make you positive. You need to, for people to just listen. to listen. Yeah. And hopefully, Nicola, hopefully, you know, on another episode, you'd be open to talking about this idea of toxic positivity. It's something that, you know, it's it's... I was actually having this conversation with a friend's mom where she, you know, she was like, I must actually change the way I think to have so much to be grateful for. Um, I don't know why I'm feeling so bleak. And I'm like, because what you're going through sucks. Like, yeah, it fucking sucks. I mean, my bestie that was by my side while I was going through everything, um, a year later was diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, like, if I hadn't gone through what I'd gone through, to say to her, yeah, dude, get angry. Yeah. Get sad. Yeah. Mourn, mourn your nipples. They're not there anymore. Yeah. You're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to not want to get out of bed. I'll lie in the bed with you. Yeah. Like to be able to extend that and say to someone, I know you, you're a positive person. I know you're a grateful person. And I know that you know you're blessed. But this this is natural. This is natural for someone that's going through cancer treatment. Well, this is the thing. My, my one therapist always used to say to me, you're having a very normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think we try to... We try to just, if, you know that, I don't know if you've seen that meme where like a dog's sitting having tea and everything's on fire and it's like, everything's fine. Yeah. Because for me, it's like a pressure cooker. You pour all that stuff in and if you're not letting the steam out bit by bit, that thing's going to and that that stew is going to go everywhere. Absolutely. So Absolutely. That you have to do it. You have to live and, and deal with very, very natural, you know, emotions. And I think that that's, you know, the thing that I struggled with as a kid, you know, with a codependent mom saying like, okay, the only thing I'm, I'm allowed to be is, um, is, is glad and happy yeah. where, the normal thing is mad, bad, glad. Those yeah. are all. But this is, this is the thing. I think I'm not sure if my mother was codependent, but there was definitely her generation of, um, or maybe it was my father's reaction to emotions other than happiness. But it's it was like if if I wasn't happy, it wasn't okay. Yeah. And I didn't create space to normalize all the other range of emotions. Only, yeah. only feeling happy, only feeling glad, you know. And so yeah. almost like when you do feel other emotions, not only is it 
the, the stress internally of, but I'm not supposed to be feeling like this. So how, why am I not happy? It's then the, yeah. the additional, okay, but how are other people going to react to that? And I think it's also it's a language that in those situations, and I do think, you know, in the past, our parents had a horrid time of it because they were treated like, oh, buck up, you know, kind of stuff. Bite the bullet, you keep the stiff upper lip. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have the words to articulate how you're feeling because you were never taught that, it is like learning a new language. Yeah. And it's difficult. It's as difficult as learning a new language is to be able to say things that hurt you in a way that's not offensive, not hurtful to the other person. Why are you learning that? It's messy. It's messy because it's a new language. Anyone that starts with a new language butchers it. And you've got to have that patience and compassion with yourself and, and those who are around you need to understand that you're learning, you know. Sure. Nicola, thank you so much. Like I'm feeling some type of way, eh? <laughs> well, I'm glad. As long as a good type of way. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think, you know, the more I have these conversations, the more not only, you know, it, it's also just opening myself up to things about myself. Um, and I think this idea of, you know, your analogy of, learning a language and you know butchering it meaning you'll you'll make mistakes you will fuck up you it's not perfect yeah. you know it's it's an ever ever growing process you know in this conversation I've just recognized something that I do in one of my relationships um because it's this idea of learning the language right so it's like I've learned how to verbalize my emotions but now I feel like I have the right to say whatever and you must just deal with the impact of it um, because mm. I'm speaking my truth, because I'm being honest, you know, or I'm being emotionally honest. And what you said now about, you know, realizing how, how that will make someone feel. And so, you know, learning how to communicate in a way that doesn't evoke the negative immediately, you know, or being yeah. sensitive to it, I think, I've been resistant to it. I've been feeling like, yeah, well, but I'm being honest. So <laughs> I'm saying how yeah, I feel. I mean, I'm, you know, you should just be able to deal with that. And I think, yeah, I think that's very eye-opening for me. So thank you. It's a pleasure. I think it's it's the key difference between a response and a reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. In my feelings, eh? <laughs> Always. I'm like when I was a kid, I was forever told you're too sensitive, you too, you think too much, you're too analytical. And like whenever I go to like talk at schools that offer trend and I go like, does anyone here, was anyone told you that you're too sensitive? Hands go up. Has anyone told you that you're too analytical? Hands go up. Yeah. That you think too. Oh, welcome. I've made a fucking career out of being, <laughs> out of thinking too much, out of being analytical. And if I wasn't sensitive, I wouldn't be good at my job. So it's amazing. You can, you can take those perceived negativities and turn them into. Absolutely. Positive. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Thank you so much, Nicola. I really appreciate your time and for joining me oh, in this so lovely chat. And hopefully you. you'll be able to join a future episode. Always here. I think it's such a vital thing is the more that we speak about it, um, the more people have a space to go um, to be able to fe feel less alone. On that note, we'll, uh, we'll take another ad break. Thank you so much and chat soon. Thank you for listening to this Spudcaster podcast. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe. This conversation with Nicola has left me feeling a lot more human. That sometimes we can say we're going through things and it sucks and we don't have to pretend that, oh, it could be worse and or we should be grateful for what we have. That doesn't mean I don't think that we can get swallowed into, you know, or kind of consumed by our misery, but we can definitely acknowledge the magnitude of it and the fact that it's not okay sometimes. It's not okay to have been hurt physically, emotionally, mentally, um, and that we can say without guilt that this isn't fair, this should not have happened to me. Um, I think that all of our experiences obviously, you know, impact who we become and how we relate to ourselves and others. And we do eventually have a choice in how we how we kind of let that play out. It's not easy. I think, you know, my sister often says to me, one of my sisters often say to me, um, choose your struggle. You know, being in debt is hard and so is being financially free. Being single is hard and so is being in a relationship. You know, I think choosing our struggle and not expecting, you know, things to always be easy despite what we might think. You know, things things are difficult and it's about choosing what difficult we want to embrace. So I challenge you with with the experiences you've had in your world, in your life, you know, what, what has been obviously the negative and, you know, how that has impacted you and maybe write and say, fuck this shit, it's not fair, you know, or maybe, you know, how, how can, what good has come of it, what positive has come out of it. So let's try to shift our lens. I know I'm often guilty of, viewing things in a in a negative way but I and you know and I kind of shroud it under being a realist but I think you know seeing the good and the bad is often how we stay sane on that note you know stay well darlings look after yourselves and as always one love tune in next time for for more real talk on on mental health topics You've been listening to Quintessentially Mental, the podcast, hosted by SureEyes. Join us next week as we continue the conversation about mental health. And remember, we are always perfectly ourselves.